I have to talk about this guy named Lex Friedman, who many many people probably know who he is. He's a podcast host. He um, appears to, to me like he's trying to be a Joe Rogan type where he has guests on. Um, you know, he, he tries to appear like non-biased. Um, but I've noticed this in the past with him, with at least Bitcoin and crypto related topics, probably more focused on Bitcoin, but he is definitely not uh, unbiased when it comes to Bitcoin. All he has on his show are Bitcoin pumpers, people that believe in Bitcoin. Uh, he has yet to have anybody who's critical of Bitcoin that's not Paul Krugman. And Paul Krugman doesn't count because, you know, he's one of these MMT uh, Keynesian type guys. So, you know, Paul Krugman, who likes the current central bank and the Federal Reserve and the printing that goes on there and inflation that we have, doesn't count, you know, as a legitimate Bitcoin critic. That He needs to have on people that are legitimately you know, critical of Bitcoin, but also not in favor of the current system that we have now with the Federal Reserve uh, printing, you know, well, printing dollars in general, but um, the fact that the dollar is not tied to anything, right, anything tangible anymore. Uh, So he always says in his shows, and I haven't watched all of them, but he'll say something like, uh, you know, here are my sponsors. And I was, I, I went finally and looked at a few of them. One of them was Coinbase for one of, um, for one of his sponsors on one of the crypto podcasts. Uh, but then there was like normal, you know, advertisements from just normal businesses. I was thinking maybe some of his backers are going to be Bitcoin whales and they probably are. He probably doesn't disclose all of his backers, I'm guessing. But um, because Lex Friedman is so biased, he's so popular. He has this big show, right? And he apparently, like, doesn't want to have anybody who's, who's against Bitcoin on his show. He had Saifedean on his show about a month ago. He had Michael Saylor on his show about two months ago. Um, so, uh, so if you're looking for someone to sue, which anybody in Bitcoin or crypto in general, I, I recommend looking for people to sue in this industry um, because they don't deserve their wealth. They didn't earn their wealth, right? And if, if Lex Friedman is doing all these pumpy Bitcoin type shows, right? Having Michael Saylor on and all these other Bitcoin bros on, right? Without giving, without at least disclosing that he's being paid off by Coinbase or whoever, whoever like guarantee you he's doing this for a reason. He's not having on Bitcoin critics because he's a little Bitcoin shill, right? So Lex Friedman deserves to be sued. And, you know, I caught a little bit of the Safe Adin podcast. That was the re- most recent one. I didn't watch it all, but it's just so hard to listen to these lies. Um, I don't, let me just point out two for you. One is that he says Satoshi's never sold his coins. Number one, we have no idea who Satoshi is, right? The founder of Bitcoin. And, and so you don't know if he sold his coins. And maybe they can, they can point out some of the very early mining and these coins haven't moved. But you have no idea who he is, number one. And you have no idea how many times he's mined and if he's ever sold anything. I guarantee you he sold at least some or his family members have. Number two, Saifedean said, Oh, it's just amazing that Bitcoin continues to exist today without its leader, without its founder. Um, no, that's not really that special. Look at Dogecoin. 
the, the, the founder of Dogecoin not, no long, not only is no longer with this project, right? But he came out against the project. He said this was a joke. You shouldn't buy Doge, right? So if Doge can exist today without its original founder, right? It pumped. It pumped to you know, last year when Elon was pumping it. Elon didn't found Dogecoin, right? So, so what is Safedine talking about? What is he talking about that like Bitcoin is the only coin or token out there that's ever existed? You know, continue to exist without its founder being around. No, this isn't special. This isn't some miracle, right? Every coin in existence pretty much can achieve this. Look at Dogecoin. Dogecoin's a joke and its founder disappeared, right? Didn't disappear. We knew who he was, but he he renounced his his association with the project anymore. He decided that he was not only going to like not work on Doge, but actually write a paper or write a tweet against it. So don't tell me, Saifedean, that like Satoshi, uh, that this was some miracle that Satoshi left the project and that some, by some miracle of God or because Bitcoin's so great, uh, Bitcoin continued to survive without its founder. That's a bunch of BS. And this Lex Friedman guy, he looks like the real sensitive type of guy. He, he, he doesn't push back on any of these Bitcoin bros or anyone that he really interviews. What he does is he'll ask some questions and say, well, critics will say this and this and this. Uh, but then he'll let the guy talk and like not criticize his answer. So he won't push back on them. You know, at least what I've seen. And again, I haven't watched every single interview that he does. But um, the ones that I have seen, right, in the Bitcoin clips that I've seen, and some I've watched all, you know, I've watched a few, all of his. He has long, long seg- segments on some of them. I can't remember which one I watched in full, but... Uh, what I have seen of him, he does, he gives softball questions. He says like, here's the other side of this, uh, but then doesn't follow up with any kind of hard questions or push back, you know, on these, uh, these Bitcoin shills at least. And it's really striking that he, let me just, let me just try to try to list out everybody he's interviewed on Bitcoin. And I had it, I had it on YouTube pulled up before. I don't know if I have it pulled up now, but let's see. There's Saifedean, there's Michael Saylor, and they, remember, these people got three or four hours with this guy. Um, this guy's got a large audience. There's also, I think, this Breedlove guy who's some podcast shill. I don't know who he is. Uh, Nick Carter, at least a couple times, who's another Bitcoin shill who tries to pretend like he's unbiased, but he clearly is. Um, I don't know if he's done Lynn Alden, but she's been making the rounds. Who else has he done? Let's see if I can pull it up here. <laughs> uh, Lex Friedman, Bitcoin. And this would just be Bitcoin. Oh, I know he's done Vitalik. Okay, he's done uh, Michael Malice, uh, uh, who I don't know if he's a Bitcoin shill, but he talks about Bitcoin sometimes. Uh, I don't know what he thinks about it. Robert Breedlove. I don't know who that is, but that's the name I gave you. Um, Charles Hodkinson. Okay, he's the guy that did... Cardano and helped Ethereum, like help. He's a co-founder also of Ethereum. Um, Alex Gladstein, the Human Rights Foundation guy, who's a Bitcoiner. Anthony Pompliano, Bitcoin pumper, right? Bitcoin podcast host. Um, Safedine already gave you that. Silvio Micali, something crypto, blockchain, Ethereum. I don't know who. I've never heard of him. Uh, who else? Who else has he done that's a Bitcoin shill? 
Jack Dorsey. Yeah, big, big point. Big Bitcoin shill and Jack Dorsey. Um, who else? Oh, he's done Elon Musk. I can't forget about that, right? I think he's done Elon Musk. Or has he not done Elon Musk? Um, Safedine. Okay. I'm just metallic. Now it's getting into clips, so I'm not getting them all, but um, okay, that's that's good enough. So who is he who is he actually interviewed that's on the other side of this of this shit bag, right? Shit story, Bitcoin, right? Who 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 doesn't like Bitcoin? Has he interviewed Peter Schiff? Has he interviewed uh Bill Harris? Has he interviewed any any uh well Warren Buffett? Like has he interviewed anybody uh Neuro Robini, uh any any anyone that like would take the other side of Bitcoin? Like has he interviewed anyone? Besides Paul Krugman, Paul Krugman doesn't count because Paul Krugman is a Kazian, right? So he, he hasn't interviewed anybody. And the, and the question you need to ask yourself is why the hell not, right? And this guy who's, who pretends like he's unbiased, and this is what pisses me off about Lex Friedman. He pretends like he's unbiased. He just pretends like he, he's, he, he's running this show that gives both sides. Well, that's a bunch of BS because... Uh, if you want to say that you're a pro-Bitcoin show, I'm fine with that. But make it very clear. Be honest about it, right? Don't pretend like you're 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 running an un- unbiased show here. Like you're all scientific and you like you don't have like you don't care. Tell us that this is sponsored by a crypto company. Tell us that you get the majority of your money from Bitcoin whales, uh, and, and be honest with your audience. Like don't and, and have on some Bitcoin skeptics for God's sake. <clears throat> so you know Lex Friedman. He's a Bitcoin shill because he's allowing through his platform um, a pumping, right? Un- unbiased nature of Bitcoin shilling, which is what CNBC does, right? And I'm fine with that again if you're upfront and honest about it. If that's the Gary show, this is not, we're not going to sit down and, and look at all sides of Bitcoin. This is going to give um, my audience, sorry, I'm going to give my guest who's a Bitcoin shill some really easy questions here. This isn't really an honest discussion. We're biased as hell. Look at our advertisers. But no, no, no. He doesn't do that. He comes off like he's some honest guy who just really wants to find the truth about Bitcoin and listen to all sides. That's a bunch of BS. Uh, so this guy should be sued. Um, Lex Friedman, I hope, goes down for this. Like, because he's not an honest person. He's not being an honest you know, and some of his content is good, right? Some he has some he has some great guests on, sure, but he's clearly biased with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and he needs to come out with that. He needs to be truthful about his bias, and if he's not, he deserves to be sued. He deserves to be sued for Bitcoin fraud because he's pretending to be one thing and he's not, right? This guy pretends like he's having on like an honest, you know, unbiased discussion where he's asking these questions, but he never has anyone on his show to take the other side. And when you do that, you set yourself up, you know, to, to be sued, just like CNBC is setting itself up to be sued. Um, so, okay. I got a caller here. I guess, let me see if I can take it. Uh, yeah. How's it going? Mic check. Hey, sorry. I just thought you called. Yeah, I just wanted to just chime in and say that I've always felt like Lex Friedman talked too slowly, and I understand English isn't his second language, but I have friends who speak Spanish, 
as a first language. And I can tell you that something is just not quite right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I see what you're doing. Yeah, you, you sound like you sound a lot like him right there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fine with that. Like I, I think he might even be Russian or something. I think he's. I think he, he came over here when he was young. So maybe he did le- learn English, you know, later on in life. And I'm okay with the way he speaks. But you know, I just criticize the fact that he 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 only has on one side of the story as far as Bitcoin goes. So as far as I can tell, I don't think he's had on any any skeptics. You know, on a, on a I, show. Yeah, I, I, and that's a classic indicator of a quasi-intellectual, what I like to call a pseudo-intellectual. <laughs> no, no, and and, someone... and you're right. And it makes me mad because he looks like an intellectual. He presents like he's from MIT. He probably yeah. is from MIT. He wears this suit. He, he comes <clears throat> across all scientific, like he's having an honest, like, you know, like he's like investigating what's going on in the world. Like he's just curious about stuff. And he doesn't really say things are his opinion. He always tends to say, well, some people say this. But he, he by, by only hearing one side of the story, you know, all these Bitcoin pumpers, he's not really being honest in his approach. You know, and that's what makes me upset. Yeah, I'm not entirely familiar with the uh, Lex Friedman Bitcoin situation. So maybe you can give me like a little refresher. Well, he had on Saifedean on his podcast a month ago. Just a, just one month ago, so he has like a long format show. I don't know if you've you've, heard, you've seen a show that's like three hour, four hour long, you know, segments, kind of like a Joe Rogan, right? Uh, but he 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 almost tries to be a little bit more. You know how Joe Rogan is more a man of the people. He tries to be a little bit more like scientific. Like I represent the the people that are interested in robotics, AI, like a lot of cool, cool, interesting subjects. Maybe highly technical subjects. Uh, so he's he's he has this curiosity approach to him, but um, but he does seem to be limited on. Uh, I forgot what your question was, and I just went off on something else. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious about the Bitcoin situation in general, but that brought me to another kind of uh, train of thought, which was that I don't think he's taking psychedelics, has he? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't either. But... I think he's I think he's a psychedelic virgin. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I, I know he has a little bit of a drinking issue. Uh, I certainly would attribute oh, something to that. I have no idea, uh, and I can't comment on psychedelics. Oh, just so I've as, never I would taken say just as much as any of us. You know, there's been some stories about him just getting a little too, a little too tipsy a couple times. You know, happens to the best of us. But um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think so the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin stuff. He he's had on lots of pumpers. Like he had on Safedine just one month ago. He had on mm-hmm. the biggest Bitcoin pumper of all, which is Michael Saylor. You know of micro strategy he had this guy on two months ago uh for like three hours and i can hardly stand anything from michael saylor i mean he just says crazy stuff like uh i don't know if you know who that is but <laughs> he's the guy that bring up the definition of satoishi emoto huh at any point did they bring up the japanese definition of satoishi emoto I don't know. I don't. I, don't know I, I believe is. it translates in Japanese to central intelligence. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. A lot of people think oh, Bitcoin is government. I don't know. I don't really believe that, but I mean, it's a possibility because we don't know who Satoshi is, right? <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think that these Bitcoin pumpers need to be very careful because I think that they're all going to get sued. And even yeah. people like Lex Friedman, who just has them on his podcast, but he does so in a very dishonest, biased way, 
And so, um, you know, anybody who listened to his podcast and now is down on Bitcoin, you know, technically could sue him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I thought about this a while back, like I, cause I searched for him and I, cause I saw him interviewing all these Bitcoin guys that I just know of, you know, and I thought, well, he's got to have interviewed somebody who's a critic because he seems to he seems to be pretty good about getting a lot of people on his show. So there's no so there's no way this guy hasn't interviewed somebody who's a real critic. And I went back and looked and no, nope, there's nobody on his show that is critical of Bitcoin besides Paul Krugman. Right. But uh, Paul Krugman doesn't count because he's a Keynesian. You know, he loves the central bank. He loves the Fed. So he doesn't count. <laughs> well, I'm a proponent of investing in like physical hard asset into things like clean water, clean food and good shelter. Um, and investing in those three things, everything else is, you know, icing on the cake after that. I agree with that. I think that the real inflation hedge is to buy stuff that people actually need. (laughs) So, you know, real things, things that, you know, never go away. Everybody always needs to eat. People need, um, you know, oil, right? We need energy. So land is a huge uh, one. I mean, automobiles are huge now. Autom- the price of autom- everything is going up, you know, so the price of automobiles, um, land houses, those kind of things, you know, are yeah, the past, good. I don't know, past several years we saw that, Oh, you know, we saw that, um, the, you know, cars, old cars were going up in price and people were thinking, well, what's going on here? Well, uh, a car is a depreciating asset. So it's not the car going up, right? It's just your dollars falling, but the car was a better inflation hedge than just, you know, probably yeah. dollars sitting in the bank because it took more dollars to buy the same old car. Exactly. Interesting. So, so I don't, I mean, I wouldn't go investing in cars, but I'm just saying like even a car is about probably better than Bitcoin. I'm, I, I don't like Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's fun for, you know, day trading, you know, it's hyper volatile. So that's what's cool about it. There's a lot of it's a cool thought experiment. But yeah, I think a lot of people went experimenting with their savings, <laughs> you know. And well, I think so a lot of, of people got suckered into and suckered into it based off of all these lies that people tell about it. Well, that's um, yeah. it's going to go to a million, you know, that kind of stuff. And I understand people dabbling in it. I have no problem with, I can see some utility in Bitcoin, but I don't think that utility is scarce. So. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Certainly not, not limited to Bitcoin. Like we can, like any one of us could just create our own crypto today and just be like, you have to pay me in this, you know, right. If I'm right. Correct. We can create our own blockchain and make our own crypto at any point. I love that. I think think that's really cool. They always fall back on the utility and they say, well, this is why it has value. But no, the utility function can be replicated and copied by any number of, of Bitcoin, you know, yeah, about, it, any other cryptos. It would be more valuable if they had a patent on it or something like that. But I, I presume that's just not the case, I guess. Yeah, they don't have a patent on it. <laughs> they open source it. Thank God which for that, open right? Source, which open source doesn't mean no patent necessarily, but they definitely don't have patents. Yeah. I wonder how many patents are involved with the crypto universe right now, the blockchain. Well, I know that they had to they had to avoid a, a certain cryptographic um, proof. I forgot what it was called, but they had to avoid it for a while because there was a patent on it. So they had to use like a less secure form of cryptography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm forgetting the name mm-hmm. of what that was, but it was it was a patent issue. 
<laughs> and that's Bitcoin specifically? Yeah, that was Bitcoin specifically. Somebody who's uh -huh. more of a cryptographer, I'm not a cryptographer, but somebody who was more of a cryptographer, but probably not a cryptographer himself, told me that, that yeah, there was some patent, and so they had to yeah. go with some other version of, of like, it was maybe, I don't know if it was, it wasn't Shaw something, it was something else. Very interesting. Yep, and that's a bit telling, yeah, that uh, it's it's uh, a rig, a bit of a rigged game is what it, it smells like for sure. But, yeah, well, I, I just is... don't like all the dishonesty floating around about it. I just don't, I don't like that part of it. I mean, uh -huh. I think the Bitcoin can survive and it will. It just won't. It just won't be as hypey as it is now, and it there won't be as big as it is now. And... Yeah, there is a distinction between dishonesty and speculation, though. You know, certainly a lot of speculation going on. That's really almost anyone can do in reference to Bitcoin, especially considering. Yeah, but... Secret of nature. I'll ask you this question. Is there a difference between speculating and gambling? Um, gambling, you have some skin in the game. The gambling, you've got some energy, some, some, uh, some real currency. Well, speculating, situation. speculating you do too. Mm, well, so not I heard, really. It's just I like, heard, a, I guess, intellectual currency. I mean, yeah, you know. Well, if you're speculating on something, emotional. you're putting money into it, right? No, no. A speculation is just a, you, that could be a thought experiment, you know, that could just be a thought or a phrase. Oh, well, be, so, so most people, well, so most people, when they, <laughs> when they hear the term speculation, I think in terms of trading and investments, I think of somebody, you know, putting money into something on a, as a speculation, as a, as a, um, as a, oh, you could call it a gamble, right? But I more of a gamble. This, yeah, I did hear this. I read this um, SEC chairman letter from 1999, um, and it was interesting because it was right, you know, right during the dot-com bubble, uh, right before it crashed. And he said there's a difference between speculating, you know, and gambling. And he, because in 1999, all these retailers rushed in to trade stocks because it was new. Everyone could now trade on the internet, uh, so everybody became a day trader. And he said he feared. He feared that the little guy was getting in, the retailers were getting in with no information. And he said there's a difference between speculating and gambling. And what professionals do is speculate. Uh, and speculating is where you have an edge. You have some kind of info that other people may not have. Inside information. And gambling, <laughs> yeah, and gambling is where you don't. And I like to say that the whales of crypto, of Bitcoin, if they're putting big money in, like they have inside knowledge, there's insiders. It's not much of a gamble. Crypto yeah. and Bitcoin. I see what you're saying. And so that's where you can make real money, right? Is if you like, if you're a trader, and I'm not of Bitcoin, but if you're a trader, you can move the markets, right? And if you have the inside knowledge, like an SBF, you can make a lot of money. And at that so point, it's not much of a gamble. It's not much of a gamble. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and like, that's so why it's, a, it's really profitable for, yeah. for like SBF. Right. But it's not no. going to be profitable for me because I don't have inside information on crypto. <laughs> and therein lies the problem with the English language, you know, and how sticky our words are and how how many double entendres there are. And how the same word can mean so many different things in different contexts. Uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I like to I like to go back in time and see how other people have used words, you know, in the past. Like like speculating versus you know gambling. I had never heard that about speculating. That it's you know some these people have 
you know, an extra edge here. And I, I kind of agree with that. They have, they yeah. definitely have an extra edge. Especially in the legal realm. In the legal realm, words almost have a completely different definition from what they sound like in the normal English language. And like the, the I think it's like the, the black book of law or whatever, mm-hmm. black, black's dictionary. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I wanted to bring up one more point. Uh, and that is, have you heard of the, the security, the Texas securities, um, board, right? The regulator is now looking into investigating Celsius. Who is Celsius? Oh, Celsius is the recent, um, big crypto lender, uh, who who blew up. Well, who hasn't blown up yet, I suppose, but they stopped all withdrawals. Mm-hmm. of crypto from their platform and they have you know billions mm-hmm. of dollars of, of client money and so wow. um anyways i called this re- I, I live in texas and i called i called my regulator the texas securities board over a year ago and i told them hey you might want to look into celsius because they because this new story about BlockFi offering these um unregistered security products came out you know the BlockFi got hit with a hundred million dollar fine and I, I basically told them, hey, if you're going after BlockFi, you should look at Celsius. They do the exact same thing. You should also look at Kraken, who's offering these staking reward products, and which, in my opinion, is also an unregistered security. So they, of course, they didn't really do anything. Um, and now they're mm-hmm. investigating them after the fact. I guess save their face. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, people warn them. Regular people like me probably called them up, and they just yes. ignore it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Happens a lot. I call up, uh, I love calling uh, NPR these days and they can't ignore it when you call them live. That's what I like about this, this app called the, the ability to call in and check someone is so wonderful. <laughs> we got to flex that. It, it is effective. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate your efforts. I, I live in Texas as well. So we got to work together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then you, you're probably worried about your power going out too. I very much am. Uh, yes. This is my other big gripe about the Bitcoiners. Like, why everybody, you know, should have a say. Even if you don't trade Bitcoin, you don't own Bitcoin, uh, we should have a say on whether they mine in this state because they have, they're affecting energy policy. They are, they are running to our regulators, right? Lobbying them. It's a major thing about crypto that makes me skeptical is the energy usage. And I'm thinking this is all a massive plan by the energy companies and the people who sell um, graphics cards, you know, stuff like that uh, to just crank up some crank out some more cash and like get everyone's beak wet. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure there's some someone on the other side that's just like cashing in both ways. We got to kind of figure that connection out. But I'll, I'll bet the money trail will yeah. lead us to exactly who is responsible for all of this, uh, everything you're upset about right now. <laughs> this kind of uh, misleading the public and leading the public into, you know, this yeah. amazing money sucking scheme. Well, and I, I, I thought that I would have thought somebody would have done a story about this by now. Like, I, I really want to make a documentary about this that exposes huh. the Bitcoin miners and how much power they're using in Texas and how they're increasing costs for just average people, and then how they're going to be, par- you know, partly responsible for the upcoming blackouts that we're sure to have again, uh, because of their partnership with ERCOT, their their uh, their yes. um, entanglement with the energy policy, like trying to get go. policies that favor them. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, hopefully I can make a documentary. I don't have any film experience, but I really I want think, to make a documentary about this subject. Yeah, I think you're totally on to something there. Um, and you absolutely should make a documentary. Whether I don't know what your plan is, like just using already existing YouTube videos and clipping them together and doing a voiceover. Is that kind of what you had in mind? Are you actually I mean, going to go like out there and knock on some more, doors? I'd like to do something more in depth, like investigatory, like um, interview and also some just, people, but also explain the other side because what we've seen is is one side. The Bitcoin miners, like they're really good at front running bad news, bad publicity. Like it was over a hundred degrees last week in Texas, like all week. And Riot Blockchain it. made a little video on their on their YouTube, you know, on their Twitter. They put it out. Um, and it's just is like, yeah, we're turning off and we're good for the grid. And we're, yeah, but they're not telling you that they're being paid by Aircot to turn off. They're not telling you how much oh, profit shit. they're making, right? Because they lock in low power rates. And then they flip wow. them when the price goes up, whenever there's high demand. So they're making a killing and then they're also being paid to shut their power off, right? The average, if the average, if the average Texan knew that like these big Bitcoin miners are being paid to shut off, right? When we, yes. they don't us off or we don't, they don't pay I'm us. I'm livid already. This is the first I've heard of it. I appreciate oh, your yeah, work you so should much. Look it up. Yeah. You should look it up. And there's all, there are stories about how much money they made when the power went out uh, in the winter storm over a year ago in February. There were people that made billions of dollars trading energy. And so in my opinion, being a Bitcoin miner, not only is there, are they lowering their cost basis, not only are we subsidizing basically the Bitcoin miners, but they're also like, they're not just mining Bitcoin, they're also becoming energy traders. And energy trading, if you go look at the history of Enron, can be a very profitable business, but it can screw everybody else. <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. people that consume power, that need power. Would it be like a similar situation like currency trading? Is there a way that currency trading can possibly kind of screw well, if, up? Yeah, if you think of Bitcoin, like, I don't think of Bitcoin really as a currency, but I realize it does have a dollar price. So what they're always looking at is like, I'm a, I'm a constant buyer of power. So I can go to a power generator in the power market and I can lock in this low rate because if I buy in bulk, right, they'll let me get a low rate. Well, if the grid is unreliable, if the grid if the grid has these swings because we've gone fifty percent wind and solar and the wind doesn't always blow, we're going to always have these cycles where we don't ha we're not making enough um, energy, we don't have enough production or generation. So all the Bitcoin miner has to do is is make sure that you know before these little events, um, these tail events, right, where energy skyrockets, that they're just you know making buying the energy producing the bit enough bitcoin to sell right just to, to stay you know at least not in the hole and then whenever it blows up they that's when they make their windfalls <laughs> i mean whenever the energy price you know uh blows up so in my mind they're kind of like currency speculators like um energy speculators all in one one um yeah all in one <laughs> yeah so yeah they're very connected to each other. Um, and so what do you speculate is like the percentage? Do they have a percentage of uh, energy usage in Texas? Do you have a, a good an estimate for that? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of bad at numbers. Like I, I like to think in like, I like to think in generalizations and that's kind of bad. Other people, well, okay. you know, you, you can take like an estimate. You can say, is it 20, you know, uh, maybe, is it a percentage point? Like maybe like one, one hundredth of the energy being used in Texas or 
Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe something like uh, much smaller than that, or much larger than that. You know, I actually I don't know actually I I, I don't know what it is. Um, I can't really tell you how how big the Bitcoin miners are now, and some of yeah. them are hooked up to the grid, and some of them aren't. Yeah, no uh, but the ones that are hooked up to the grid matter way more, in my opinion, because they, they can affect the grid. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't really give you a number. I don't know. I don't know it off the top of my head. I'm, I'm seeing but what I can find online say, right now. Let's just say they're big enough that um, they can affect with their lobby uh, ERCOT policy. The, our ERCOT grid is specifically making policy for them, like saying that we can stabilize our grid with the help of the Bitcoin miners. So they're the ERCOT grid is doing long-term planning with this volatile asset called Bitcoin that may not even be around, you know, next year. Or, or, or it may be at 3000 I mean, who knows where the price is and, and what is that going to do to these miners? Are they going to stop, you know, mining? Are they going to go under? Like, so why is the grid partnering with this volatile <laughs> asset to try to stabilize our grid? It's, it's just outrageous to me. I found an article from Bloomberg that says the Texas grid operator expects crypto miners to increase electricity demand up to six gigawatts by mid 2023, which is more than enough to power every home in Houston. Mm-hmm. So that's every home in Houston. Um, that's about pretty damn close to at least a percentage point. I think of all the, uh, uh, at least, yeah, it's, it's up there. It's, I think it's, that, it's, so it's a, it's there a might be a amount. story and I'm in my car, but there might be a story like there was something that came out last week where they had record demand on the Texas grid. Now we, they were able to meet the demand, right? Cause the wind was actually really blowing last week. Uh, they were able to meet it, but there was the highest amount that, that was on the grid or that generation was used since, um, like 2019. So, and this is like, everybody's moved to Texas since the pandemic, since the COVID thing. Uh, and then you also have the Bitcoin miners who take up a large, large amount of electricity coming here. So not only have we seen an influx of Texas, you know, new Texas residents, but we've also seen, you know, a lot of the Bitcoin miners coming here over the last couple of years because China basically booted them out of their country uh, and they, they got favorable policy in Texas to come here. So they've all been flocking here. They've been lobbying uh, like crazy. The regulators here, the Senator Ted Cruz, every every month this year. Ted Cruz spoke either at a Bitcoin mining event, uh, mm. literally Bitcoin mining, like mm. every every single month, or maybe even maybe more than one, maybe even more than once a month. He either spoke at a Bitcoin mining event, like a lobbying group of Bitcoin miners for the state of Texas, or he spoke at some federal level, right? Just in general, the crypto lobby, like Bitcoin. Well, he's not so much crypto. I think he's more Bitcoin, but yeah. I mean, you could just go look up videos of him or look up where he was invited to speak. And that's all he's been doing this whole year <laughs> is is Bitcoin promotion. <laughs> Same with Governor Abbott. Like he's he's met with these Bitcoin bros, too. Um, and it's really disgusting. There's like four there's like four different lobby groups just in Texas and Austin um, that uh, are Bitcoin lobby interest groups that, that like once a week you see them posting pictures with different mayors around the state, you know. The Texas no Blockchain Council yeah. is one of them, and there's many others, you know, blockchain association groups that just, they all they do, like literally they just have people going around uh, smoozing with these regulators. <laughs> uh, they have a very powerful lobby, so it's going to be very hard. It's basically we're going to have to experience a lot of pain. You know, people in Texas are going to have to 
first be educated that this is what's going on in our state, that you're paying more in electricity, you have more blackouts, and partly due to these Bitcoin miners uh, and the energy policies that they push, they're going to have to experience pain, but they're going to also have to understand where that pain comes from. And if the Bitcoin miners have front ran, you know, all this bad publicity and spun it in a different way, and they've got the regulators captured, it's going to be a very uphill battle, you know, in my opinion, to, um, to counteract this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had very little, I kind of, I mean, I could kind of imagine this situation in my head. I had no idea how real it was until I talked to you. So this is pretty cool. And this is something we absolutely need to be loud about because, yeah, electricity. Well, people, I mean, there were people that died last winter. I mean, mm-hmm. well, whenever it was. <laughs> when was the storm? 2021? Yeah, 2021 in February. I mean, there were mm-hmm. a handful of people that died that week where the power went out and it was cold. Thousands uh, of cattle just died in Kansas. Thousands of cattle just died in Kansas. And uh, that could be us next in Kansas, you know, shit. Um, so. But you know how people can't sue ERCOT? So a lot of people mm-hmm. tried to sue ERCOT during that storm, but mm-hmm. they got some kind of pass because there's some kind of quasi government, you know, organization. Well, the Bitcoin miners that partner with them cannot can be sued because they're private companies. And when they partner with ERCOT, basically what ERCOT's saying is we're going to go into a joint venture, right? These yep. Bitcoin miners are going to help stabilize our grid. We're going to pay them to shut off, you, you know, this through this program. It's called demand response, where they can't, the way that they've structured the grid, it's a bad way to structure it in the beginning. Uh, so they're, the ERCOT grid is not planning for uh, supply, right? to be at a certain level anymore. They're, so they, they, they feel like they can't regulate that because they're going to more wind and solar, which they can't dictate when the wind's going to blow. So if they can't affect the supply, they just try to affect the demand. And when they do that, they say, okay, well, we'll ask these, these Bitcoin miners to shut off so that they'll have lower demand. We'll pay them to do so. But even though that might help on the demand side, that still doesn't fix your generation problem. So, um, so if they're going into partnership with these Bitcoin miners, in my opinion, when the next blackouts occur, I would encourage everyone to sue their local Bitcoin miner. <laughs> I mean, because they're going to be partly responsible. That would certainly put some heat in the right place. Um, let's see. Uh, I but think, that's you after know, the fact. So people are going to get hurt, right, because of damages. Yeah, because- yeah, I, yeah I'd, I'd rather talk about like some mitigate, how can we mitigate this situation before or could we just create enough electricity to like make everyone happy? You know? Um, well, part of that's a regulatory problem. And this is where the Bitcoiners, they, they try to come in and say, we're saving the day, right? So I don't know if you've heard about their this in depth, but what they try to do is say, you know, the grid sucks. It's not generating enough out. Uh, uh, there's too much, you know, demand. So we'll help save the day. We can turn off, right? Versus a, a mm. factory, right? Maybe your hospital can't just turn no. off. Saving the day would be improving the grid and finding more clean ways to pump electrons into it. Well, saving <laughs> the grid would, would 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 involve looking at the root cause, in my opinion, yeah. and seeing, well, maybe we should structure this differently. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should say we, we want power when we want it. So let's let's produce some reliable power that's there when we need it, instead of this um, this scheme where the grid is set up to be volatile on purpose so the people trading the grid. So think about how Bitcoin is very volatile, right? Well, the Bitcoin the Bitcoin people want that to happen to our energy grid because they know they can trade it. Because what do they do? They buy power long term when it's cheap, 
And then when the, when the, when the demand is over the supply in a certain weather event or whatever kind of event happens, uh, then they can trade the power. So just like they want to trade Bitcoin off volatility, they want to increase the volatility of our grid. But that actually hurts, right, regular people. What they're doing is hurting, you know, the people of Texas that need cheap, reliable power, you know, when they want it and not have to, like, shut off and not have their power shut off when they don't want their power to shut off. <laughs> yeah. It makes everybody less productive, less happy, right? We, we, we're not really flourishing if we have less to. Less alive. Absolutely. Yeah, like, I if we have to deal with hot weather and have no yeah. AC. I was dealing with depression at the same time last year. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I, had oh, to sleep no. in a, I had to sleep in a Donald worshiper's house. Yeah, he was kind enough to let me stay in his house. Someone I didn't agree with politically, but how, how cool is that? They let me stay in their house. <laughs> to be fair, his wife did agree with me politically, so it was like a, it was like a happy thing. This is kind of an interesting story. But yeah, it was terrible. And uh, I'm pretty good at toughing out the cold. And, you know, I punked out and, um, so I can only yeah, imagine what that's like. For cold. Less... You know, people, people lost everything in their refrigerator. People lost, uh, people often couldn't cook yeah. if they had an electric stove. Um, you couldn't do clothes. You, you could hardly charge your phone. Uh, a lot of people couldn't even stay warm. I mean, and it was the weirdest thing. Like people right up the street would have like all the electricity they needed while some of us were like, you know, we would get like five minutes at a time or 30 seconds of electricity, then it would all go out again, just like in little birds like that, you know. Yeah, and that's what and happens then, when you have shortages. Yeah, yeah. And just right, right up the road, though, there would be houses that were just fine. Like Yeah, because they were on a, they were on a, they were probably on a section of the city that like had a, had a hospital attached to it. And you can't uh, turn off a hospital because people will be, die. People are on, you know all kinds of life support, you know, babies are in incubators and stuff and you just can't turn off the hot hospital. Yeah. A lot of things go wrong when you have a complete blackout and they were cool. saying, that, yeah. So I so mean, just happened to be on that line. Maybe that's interesting. Yeah. But if you look that up, that's what I heard people were saying. Um, that I mean, makes a little more sense, but I, that said, I am kind of out in the outskirts of the town and the hill country. So I'm trying to think yeah. of the nearest hospital and you know we do actually have some right at the street so that, that does make a lot of sense though but also well i could tell you a story this is maybe more personal but my parents were outside of the city too and um but so each each um each area you know the the, the retailer who sells the power to the people they were dictated to um shed load and so but what happens is, is you have people that work at these, these places and, um, <laughs> there was like somebody in my parents' um, neighborhood who apparently was, was helping like get water together or, or, you know, helping with efforts to like help the community. And so, um, there were, so my, my parents were speculating that like they kept their, their lights, their power on the whole time, uh, because, you know, she was doing all this work. And so they were, mm. you know, so there could be, I'm sure there was some of that going on too. Um, yeah. So, but, but that's the thing is that when you have shortages, they have to ration somehow. And there's always some people that get the short end of the stick and other people that, you know, are fine. Uh, you know, I didn't have power at my place for like literally five, five or six days. And then like we had water and then the water went out eventually. 
after like mm-hmm. day four, <laughs> but uh, I yep. toughed it out there for a while and then went over to my parents' place after that finally. Um, but yeah, it kind of sucked that, that short, you know, that, that week. Well, you're doing fantastic work and good job calling out Lex Friedman. I think we need better intellectual leaders. Um, um, kind of disappointed with what we've got to choose from right now. <laughs> so who would you consider a good intellectual leader? Who do you look for, for guidance and wisdom and the, the raw facts um, and data? Yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard, um, <laughs> the only, th- the only name I might give you right now is off the top of my head. Um, I like the way that, that, um, Alex Epstein, he's come out with a book like the moral case for fossil fuels and just recently a new book called fossil future that talks about like a controversial subject, right? Using more fossil fuels. Um, and his framework is about, um, the way he looks at this is like, we need to look at the whole picture of, of climate change, study all issues, study the pros and benefits of using, you know, fossil fuels, versus getting rid of them and trying to go all renewable, you know, by 2050 or whatever year they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, if you're looking at the world of what's happening now with energy, we have this huge energy uh, shortage for a number of different reasons. Uh, But, you know, I think it's mainly regulatory policy errors. But, Mm. um, but, but a lot of people will say that, that they're doing this for the right reasons, right? To combat climate change. So Mm -hmm. I think that you should look, I, I think that if you're interested in this subject, it's a good it's a good read to get the other side of it, and I think that he presents a very good case for how to how to frame an issue, especially with when it has like um, when there's scientists saying different things, right? And how to how and how they're how you know science becomes very political at some point, oh, and yeah. so how do we make the right policy decisions over energy, which affects everyone's life life, right? Uh, so anyway, he just he has a different framework for looking at climate change so if you're if you're one side of the climate change spectrum you know if you think it's a very um that you know it's coming right and it's going to hurt us all in you know Mm -hmm. 10 years we'll all be gone he's he has a good i think he's got a good um way of looking at the issue you know and a philosophy of looking at what is good for human flourishing that that's sort of his framework so Mm -hmm. i like the way he thinks and you know i like to study all sides of an issue that was Alex yeah. Epstein, huh? Yeah, yeah, I would recommend Alex him. Epstein. Cool. Yeah. Nice. I've got a nice long list of names. I would recommend Abby Martin first, right off the bat. You may be familiar with her. She has a podcast here on Colin. It's the reason I kind of tuned in in the first place here. Abby Martin. Called- oh, I Abby-, heard of her. Abby Martin. She has a podcast here on uh, Colin called Dosed. It's great. It's a lot of fun. She interviews some of my favorite people right off the bat. So she's doing great. And also, if you don't know who she is, uh, she was a reporter for RT uh, for a few years. Must have been about five years or so, six years or so. And um, she had a brilliant show on Russia Today called Breaking the Set. And it was just like if someone gave a cool, hip, young millennial like us uh, our own news show and just let her go wild. You know? And she absolutely like tore it up. She did so good. So I, I looked at I her remember, and I remember Max Kaiser on Russia today when he used to have his Bitcoin show. Yes. And this was yes. Like 2012 or 2013. He was the I first person was, I'd ever learned about Bitcoin from was Max I, Kaiser. I think he was, I think I first learned about it from Peter Schiff, I think 
when he, you know, when he first like heard about it in like 2012, and then mm-hmm. I I saw Max Kaiser, and then I I, I even heard Stefan Molyneux talking about it back in the day. Oh my God, I would love to watch the Max Kaiser show today. I need to tune into the Max if he's even doing it. I don't know if he still does it. I don't think he still, does, but I thought he was crazy back then. You know, personality, but he's even crazier now. He's, yeah, he's, he's really not gotten crazy. any less crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that poor woman that has to co-host with him. But did you know that he actually likes gold? So Max Kaiser likes gold. So it's funny to me because he bashes it, right? But he's a, he's an investor, or at least he was in this company mm-hmm. called Gold Money. Mm-hmm. Gold Money. And and so he liked gold. He used to be pro gold and then he was pro Bitcoin and now now he like bashes gold just just for Bitcoin. It's trying just to, trying it's, to drop the price, who knows, you know, just for Bitcoin. Yeah, but if he's, yeah, if he's who knows? Has, I mean, if he still has his gold investments, I'm surprised they haven't kicked him off the board because, um, you know, (laughs) but maybe that's just him. Maybe they just say, well, this is just his personality. I don't know. Uh, I I make jewelry. So I like gold because I make jewelry with it. So it's always valuable to me. But, uh, you you know, I can do it with any kind of metal. I can do it with any kind of cheap cheap metal. And I think. Go ahead. Yeah. You might be onto the same thing I was going to mention. Monet? Not yet. Oh, okay. Well, it's the best way to buy gold jewelry. Like, well, they say it is. Okay. It's this like guy junk named, jewelry. Uh, well, no, 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 real jewelry. So what you can do is you can buy, like, you can buy jewelry, and it's gold jewelry. <clears> and <throat> it, they claim to have the most, you know, carat gold per, per um, you know, per ounce of whatever jewelry. Okay. And what you can do is you can buy it. So it's like an investment, but it's also jewelry, because you can actually track the price on their website. And if mm-hmm. ever you want to return your gold jewelry that you bought at Monet for mm-hmm. the dollar price of gold, you know, they'll give you basically the dollar price. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's a steal. And if the gold <laughs> has gone up, well, well, I mean, they take a cut. Right? Excellent they business deal. Artist fee, like they have the daughter yeah. Picasso designing this stuff. So they take an artist fee, manufacturer's fee. But, you know, it's a way to get utility out of your gold investment, right? Because you can wear it. You can give it to your girlfriend or wife. Yeah. Like you can... You know, they, they have tendons. Yeah, I really like the business model. No, and I, I also really like Roy Roy Sabag. It's another thinker I would actually point you to. He has some really good insights on. Um, if you go to Gold Money in the insight section, he's written some really good pieces about uh, you know why abstract currencies fail. Um, some you know some some pieces about the differences between sort of the real world economy, I'd say, uh, and the abstract service economy and he, he tends to compare you know bitcoin to gold in a way like he doesn't really mm-hmm. say he doesn't think that they're comparable but he likes yeah. to point out you know the, in one uh, way in one aspect they may be useful to compare to, to yeah consider them the same well way. he it's almost like he's taking down arguments from bitcoiners who like to compare bitcoin to digital gold and he is the best person I've found that, that explains it in a way that I can understand. Um, I've learned a lot from him. And what's funny is he's not a, he's not like a Bitcoin basher. He used to have like the largest um, Bitcoin miners up in Canada. And then now I think he spun off one of his Bitcoin mining companies from Canada. I think he's made it into this company called Cathedral Bitcoin, which is a Bitcoin mining company that, that doesn't use like um, on-grid uh energy it uses like i think just what they what they say like flared glass or something like strand stranded uh natural gas to to mine bitcoin with uh that otherwise would have to be flared or something um and 
they've been putting out these really philosophical letters. And so I was reading one of them and I was like, this, this Roy, like, it sounds like, you know, I haven't seen a Bitcoin miner put out these, these like interesting philosophical pieces. Uh, and mm-hmm. I looked it up, I looked up the owners and sure enough, you know, Roy Sabag is the Sabag or whatever. I can't say his name. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that, that, um, is in charge of it. Interesting. I just dropped uh, Whitney Webb's name in the comment section for you, too. I think you would get a lot out of her if you're not familiar with Whitney Webb yet. Uh, no. Little uh, lady based out of Chile right now, and she is absolutely brilliant. And she has got her nose on the trail of a lot of this Bitcoin stuff. And I think okay, you would Whitney be able Webb to pull a Martin. lot from her. Yeah, Whitney Webb and Abby Martin, those two ladies. I gained so much insight from them. Too. I think they're doing some of the hardest work out there right now. Um, well, I will look them up and be sure to check them out. Thanks you yeah. for the recommendation. Yeah, and thank you for all your hard work. I got to go get some lunch for, for myself. I'm getting pretty hungry right now. Yeah, I'm actually but... about to go go, to, go into a grocery store myself. So Nice. <laughs> but I'm glad you called in. Yeah, I'm about to go to Natural Grocers myself. I hope you guys have one in your town. They're great. I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Fantastic. I have a I have a little farm and like a little bunch of rabbits and stuff. And so, if you go into Natural Grocers and tell them that you want some of their organic scraps, they'll they will save all those veggies that would normally be dumped out, and you can just take those veggies and compost them. And that oh, wow. is one of the most solid investments you will you ever make. The rabbit? Do you do you slaughter and eat the rabbit? I do. Oh, okay. I was wondering. You have a farm mm-hmm. of rabbits. Are they, is it good? They're, every now and then they're a food. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, especially if you raise them yourself. Anything you raise yourself, anything that's been taken care of well, is you're going to notice the difference. Yeah. Um, it's a very yeah. big difference. Um, uh, you know, like just spinach, for example, um, loses 90% of its vitamin C after 24 hours of being picked you know, so all that stuff, all that spinach wow. that we're paying so much money for and yeah. the stores at HEB is really just lacking what we would have if we just grew it ourselves and picked it right out of our yard. It's a completely different experience when you well, pick I, a, yeah. a fresh leaf. My parents have this huge, like, a, you call it a tomato farm. It, it's just, a, it's a big garden. Uh, and nice. so they grow tomatoes every year. And right now, I'm eating, like, a BLT every day because they just give me all these great tomatoes <laughs> from the garden. And Fantastic. they're so much better. I don't eat store tomatoes. I can't anymore because yeah, uh, the, because the real thing that you can grow is so much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome to hear. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm doing blueberry, blueberry tomatoes and big black beauty tomatoes. Those are a lot of fun. Highly recommended. Okay. okay. Nice meeting you. I'll let you go. Yeah, nice meeting you. Uh... All right. Bye. Okay, I'm gonna end it here then. Uh, bye, guys. <laughs>